Welcome to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast. Once again, you're with Nathan Lear, myself, and my co-host, Glenn Fairburn. Um, look, happy to have you guys back for another week's episode. I think we might have missed a, a week, but we're we're back into the swing of things now. Any uh, any updates before we get into the uh, the detail of the podcast, Glenn? Or? Oh, not particular. I suppose just, just keen to get into a bit of routine and try and uh, push out at least one, one podcast a week throughout 2020. Sounds good. Well, uh, this one we're, we're talking about asset allocation. So, uh, yeah, quite a quite an important term in the investment world, asset allocation. Um, so, Glenn, to kick it off, I might just ask the simplest questions of, in your words, what is asset allocation? Well, asset allocation, uh, I suppose, from our perspective as portfolio managers, is is constructing a diversified portfolio, isn't it? And then having a set allocation to each of those asset classes. So if we're looking at, from an Australian perspective, what are the major asset classes that we would invest in for our clients? So we've got traditionally cash, fixed interest, property, Australian shares, international shares. So when we're putting together portfolios for clients, they're the five assets that we'd primarily focus on um, in, in a traditional sense. So asset allocation is determining an appropriate allocation to each of those assets and then constructing, I suppose, the asset allocation for the clients particular needs so spot on so so those five major categories i know potentially there could be more depending on yeah, like alternative commodities things like that but normally we would just construct them with those five major so those, asset classes those five categories we want to establish the right mix we'll talk about how you establish that but effectively what it is it's having those categories and finding the right mix between those categories which is which is otherwise known as diversification um, maybe on those five categories that you mentioned, Glenn, um, they do have different different characteristics. So maybe we'll just spend a minute talking about the characteristics, and often they're put into two different buckets: yeah, in- income and growth. Yeah, and and just in terms of income and growth, the differences. Um, well, firstly, cash and fixed income. You know, broadly speaking, go in the income bucket, I'll call it, or category, and then shares. So in our case, Australian shares, international shares, and property generally fall in the growth category. Now, having said that, it's not the, the shares and property still can generate income, but would you say generally that's how they're categorized, income and growth? Yeah, and I suppose outside of, with those income-producing assets, a lot of the time you would invest in those or you'd have an allocation to those assets to provide protection to the portfolio. So they're not normally going to be subject to market movements, so volatility or fluctuation in asset value. Which is a good point. So normally you, fix, you don't want your fixed in come allocation exposed to volatility or up yeah. and down movements but that's not always the case is it with say no. a bond yeah like obviously the values of bonds can change on a day-to-day basis depending on what demand and supply is depending on what interest rates are doing but ordinarily those income producing assets are more the defensive type assets within a portfolio so those that will not normally be subject to fluctuation in asset value versus those other assets like shares and property which as you're right i mean they do generate income but normally you would focus on those assets for capital growth or asset accumulation. Mm. So it's a matter of determining the right mix between those two categories. So income producing or sort of defensive type assets versus those growth type assets. Okay. So that's what what is an asset allocation. Um, probably the hard part is you, you've got a sum of money perhaps or, or, or you're looking to start investing. Um, what are the factors or the considerations you look at when building out an asset allocation? I think, um, well, there's probably a number of factors. 
Well, let's what, go through them. Yeah, yeah, so one being the objective. Like, what is your objective? Um, is it to access funds in the short term, medium term, long term? So we're talking time horizon. Yeah, time horizon. Time horizon. How, how long are you, in other words, how long are you investing in the That's money? right. So you, you would normally align the strategy or the asset allocation with the objective. So if, if it's a shorter term objective, well, then you don't want to be having a higher allocation to growth type assets because yes, although they can appreciate in value, they can also reduce in value in the short term. Um, so normally we'd be saying to clients that you don't want to have an allocation to growth type assets un- unless you've got an investment time horizon beyond five, six, seven years mm. because history shows us that normally over that sort of time frame, markets tend to trend upwards Whereas in the short term, it's anyone's guess. Like it could be up, it could be down, it could be sideways. So with a shorter term investment time horizon or a shorter term objective that you need access to funds, that's when you'd be focusing on those income producing assets or the more defensive type assets. So when you're putting together your asset allocation, you're likely to have a heavier allocation to those more defensive type assets. So a couple of like obvious examples, if you're a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old and we're dealing with your retirement superannuation money your time horizon is obviously very long yeah it could be 30 plus 20, years 30 years yeah so you're probably going to have more of a skewing or tilt towards growth assets yeah because you want to grow that pool of money you can take on the risk or the volatility of the market because you've got the time you've, you've got side. longer to invest and although yeah. history is not always an accurate guide as to what the future will do i mean throughout every cycle, I would say over a 30-year period, markets generally trend upwards because mm-hmm. over that sort of time frame, you tend to remove the volatility that can be inherent in the markets in the short term. Uh, and a lot of the, whether they're geopolitical risks or, or short-term term uncertainties, that they tend to sort of be flushed out of the market over that longer period of time. So that's one extreme example. Maybe at the other extreme is if you're saving for a house deposit, you might have a sum of money and you want to buy a house in three years' time. That's probably the other end of the extreme isn't it where yeah you don't have a lot of time so you're probably not going to be putting much if any into those growth style assets because you don't have the time to recover if the markets fall yeah because i suppose you it's 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 one of those things you'd try and avoid doing isn't it you just wouldn't want to invest in an asset if you're looking at buying a house in the next six to 12 months you wouldn't want to be investing in any asset that has the potential to reduce in value over that period of time because timing the time of the the timing of the market can can work against you, can't it? Like, I mean, you, it might be a rising market. Everything looks positive. Everything's pretty exciting from a share market perspective. So you think, well, this is a good opportunity to make some gains and, and get a greater deposit. But the risk is that something happens that you didn't predict or unforeseen and, and that market can work against you and therefore you've got less capital for a deposit or to buy a house than what you would if you just held the money in cash. So if someone said to you without a lot of, a lot of investing experience, I wish I had put my, you know, I've got a bit of money but I need it in three years for a house deposit. The last two years, the share market's been going up both years. Why wouldn't I just do it now? Like, what would you say to them? It's, all, it's just risk and return, isn't it? You, you need to look at how the markets perform and, and you, just, you couldn't have any confidence over that shorter period of time that the market would go up because what, if we're looking at shares and property, we're, we're investors, we're not speculators. And I think the only time you can really be a true investor is where you're taking that long-term investment horizon because history's shown us that over a shorter time frame no one knows what's going to happen in i don't think 12 24 or even three years it's just too short of a time frame to have any confidence that the market will be ahead of where it is today and yeah you could you could get it right i mean the market could go up in that short period of time and and you're a genius 
but I think the risk of getting it wrong is just too great. Yep, definitely. I mean, vo- investment mar- share markets can be very volatile and we've, we've, we've both experienced periods where it's fallen by 50%. You'd hate to be on that side of it, wouldn't you? You, well, you need the money sh- in the short term. That's right. And, and the market can move very quickly in a very short period of time. And it may just be that month that you need access to the funds where the market's down. So you, you might have had a sort of upward moving share market, but your, your property settles in December and the market just happens to be down 8%. So al- although longer term it can go up, it could just be that period of time that you need the funds where the market could, could be going um, in the opposite direction. So that's time horizon we, we spoke about. One of the key factors in determining your asset allocation. Probably the other big one is uh, what's what's called risk tolerance or your yeah. attitude towards risk or risk appetite. There's probably different ways you can you can say it. Um, how do you view that, Glenn? Look, risk. I think risk tolerance is a tricky one. Like just, just through experience working with clients, and this this is a, gen- a gener- generic comment. It doesn't apply to everyone, but I suppose a lot of investors tend to get more aggressive when markets are going well and more. Yep more sort of conservative markets aren't doing as well. So risk tolerance is a really tricky one. But I think generally what you'd be saying is that someone who's conservative in the the traditional sense where they've not had a lot of experience with the market, um, they're nervous about investing in in those assets that could potentially reduce in value, it may not be prudent for those investors to have a higher allocation to those growth-type assets. So you need to take into account the risk tolerance of of an individual in putting together their asset allocation. But I think a relevant thing as an advisor is to talk to them about the implications of perhaps being too aggressive or too conservative as well. Because yep. that can work against you too, can't it? I mean, if you're conservative but you put all your money in, um, in cash and, and defensive type assets, yes, you, you may sort of remove the volatility in the market, but then you're exposed to other types of risks as well. So inflationary risk in particular, which basically mm-hmm. means that as the cost of living goes up if all your money's in cash and term deposits well mm. the purchasing power of that asset's going to reduce in value isn't it so there's a lot of different mm. things you, i think and you need to take into account and you might protect your capital if you're a conservative investor investing in cash and fixed income but are you going to meet your objectives that's right which maybe not and it's um, a compromise isn't it that, that's where you really need to have that discussion with your advisor to say well this is sort of my tolerance to risk or my knowledge with investing compared to what, what do you think, I, I, what, what risk do I need to take, what portfolio should I have in order to achieve my objectives? I think a good financial advisor or a good investment advisor, whoever you're dealing with, to construct an asset allocation, they ask these kind of questions. And, and you know, for example, like how would you feel if you know, equity markets suffered a fall of X percent and therefore your portfolio fell by roughly this much? Like how would you feel? I think, I, I mean, we've probably spoken about before that there is – there is ways you can construct a um, an asset allocation from a, a computer, effectively. Uh, what do you call it? risk profiling? Like risk tools. profiling, yeah, like questionnaires. Um, a questionnaire, and we're not saying they all don't work, but I know sometimes it's hard to really understand it without having these discussions. I know we, with our clients, we like to have these discussions and just get an understanding their attitudes towards risk. Are they conservative? Are they aggressive? How do they feel if this event would happen? Just to try and understand how to how to build the portfolio. It's an education process mm. as well, isn't it? Explaining to people that, yes, I think more so the share market compared to the property market because the share market's valued every second of the day. There's the perceived, it's perceived as being higher risk than perhaps um, property because property is only valued when you sell it potentially or every one, two years. So it's just perceived to be higher risk. But I think that's where the education of understanding the market and showing people the 
you know, the historical return of the share market that yes, in a short period of time, the market can go anywhere, but the longer you go out, the more, more likelihood there, there's going to be a positive return. So a lot of it's just that education process and understanding the risks of being in the market, but also the risk of being out of the market as well. We, we might have covered this in, in the discussion as, as we've gone along, but why, why is an asset, in your view, why is an asset allocation so important? And I want to focus mainly on the diversification part. Yeah. We spoke about it a bit earlier, yeah. but why is that? Yeah, why would you say it's so important? I think there's a number of different reasons. I mean, from a from an investment perspective, if you, one extreme would be putting all your money in the Australian share market. Well, which, you, which in theory, that's going to give you the best return, isn't it? In theory, over in a longer equities. period of time. Share, whether it's Australian or international equities. You, you would say that potentially that's going to give you the highest return. But if you're focusing on just putting all your money in the domestic Australian share market, um, well, the advantage of that is that Obviously, you're, you're investing in an asset class that's performed very, very well over a long period of time. But the disadvantage is that you're missing out on other asset classes that have also performed fairly strongly. So international equities have outperformed Australian equities yep. probably in the last 10 years. Yep. Uh, properties outperformed Australian equities over the last 10 years yep. in, in a generic sense. Sure. So if, you, if you're too concentrated with your portfolio, you may be confident with that asset class based on where it sits right now and historical returns, but you're also missing out on the benefits of other asset classes um, and what you end up with is one asset class really dictating and driving the performance of your portfolio as opposed to having a portfolio where you've got multiple other asset classes and therefore you're diversifying where your returns are being generated from. So very simplistically, even if it's just a full growth portfolio, if you compare a portfolio that's got all Australian shares versus one that's got Australian international and property, um, I would say that that's with with the three varying asset classes is probably a lower risk portfolio um, and, and therefore your returns being driven by multiple asset classes and from from varying investments. Okay. Okay. Anything else on... on, on but but on I suppose or? in addition to that, what, what we want to do with any portfolio is not just try and construct a portfolio to generate the highest level of return but also manage the risk. Um, so... Getting back to that example, if you have all your money in the Australian share market, well, it's, it's, it's a higher risk portfolio. Yes, it might generate a higher return, but it's also higher risk and, and going to be more volatile. The moment you start introducing the more defensive type, type asset classes, you reduce the risk, you get smoother returns. So now instead of 100% of your return being driven by the share market, um, you're protecting the downside by introducing some capital secure type assets. But the other thing that it, that it does, which we'll talk about, is enable you to rebalance the portfolio. Yeah, which is exactly where I was going to go when you started talking about that. I mean, re rebalancing is arguably such an important thing in terms of managing a portfolio. So you've set your asset allocation. You've um, worked out what's appropriate for you based on your objectives, your risk tolerance, your time horizon. Um, but it's probably not as simple as just letting that portfolio just sit in the background and running and doing its thing because the allocations over time as markets go up and down they're going to move out of kilter so what rebalancing means just to simply explain that for listeners that might not know what it means is to rebalance back to your original targets we were talking about strategic asset allocations which we'll expand on that in a moment rebalancing is rebalancing back to those original targets so we, we often talk about um the the simple 50 50 portfolio if you had 50 percent in equities 50 percent in fixed income and equity markets go up and your 50% allocation to equities is now 60%, you want to rebalance to take that 10% profit out of 
out of the equities and effectively buy fixed income. So rebalancing is, for a number of reasons, is so important. Do you want to add much to that, Glenn, or...? Yeah, I suppose one of, one of the main benefits of rebalancing is, as you were saying, it enables you to take profits in a rising market and look for opportunities in a falling market. But I suppose one of the major benefits is that it enables you to continue to manage the risk of the portfolio, doesn't it? Because if you start out with that hypothetical 50-50 portfolio where you've got 50 in equities, 50 in fixed interest, if you just let that portfolio run, and let's just say the share market goes up 20%, then in theory, you will now have 60% in shares 40% fixed interest. Yep. So the dynamic of that portfolio is changing quite considerably and the risk of that portfolio is changing. Mm. So instead of only 50% of the portfolio being driven by what the share market's doing, now it's 60%. Mm. Now in a rising market, that'll work in your favour because if the market's going up, the more you've got invested in an asset class, the better off you'll be. But it's a matter of protecting against the downside as well. In the, If you've got 60% and the market falls 50%, that could be a 30% hit to your portfolio. Mm versus a 25% hit if you've only got 50% invested in equities. So portfolio management, portfolio construction is, yes, about generating the maximum return, but relative to the risk that's necessary to achieve your objectives and ensuring that that risk doesn't go beyond that original target asset allocation. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, just a couple of things mentioned there, but it, uh, I think a couple of takeouts for me is you get to smooth out the return by adding in, in, in a diversified portfolio and rebalancing. You're managing that risk. You're smoothing the returns. A um, couple of other bits and bobs going through my mind, Glenn, but um, maybe I'll, I'll jump to the... Because I touched on it earlier and I don't want to gloss over if people aren't familiar with the, the, the term around strategic asset, strategic asset allocation and tactical asset allocation. Yeah. Yeah, so I suppose what we've been talking about where you set a target asset allocation and then actively rebalance back to it, that's very much what we'd call a strategic approach to portfolio management, where you've got a strategy and you stick to it. The advantage of rebalancing, in addition to the benefits that we've been talking about, is that it takes the risk or the need to time markets out of your whole portfolio management process, doesn't it? So timing markets means that you're trying to pick the best time to sell shares or buy shares. But by sticking to that, strategic asset allocation where you've set in stone your what your asset allocation needs to be and by actively rebalancing back to it well you're not trying to pick the best time to buy and sell the portfolio is actively telling you what you need to be doing on an ongoing basis but the tactical approach so is take, quite different it takes your emotion out of it, it takes uh, the emotion out of it yeah you're not you're not timing markets you're not having a view on the market i mean because often mo- most people get get it wrong like you, you speak to any kind of or read up on all the greatest investors and they all say it's very hard to time a market and, and usually they, yeah. they get it goes against what you think it's going to be. Yeah. So it just takes that process out of it. I mean, you can get it right. People have got it right historically sure. and, and have hung, hung their hats on getting sure. it right. But more often than not, you're sure. right. <laughs> they get it wrong. So that's strategic where it's um, you rebalance back to those original targets. And, and the other one is uh, often it's referred to as, I think, dynamic or tactical where, where you, you'll... Um, You'll go. You're basically time the market. So if you've got a view that equities, Australian equities, are are going to go through the through the roof in the next few years, you'll take a higher allocation to Australian equities to try and outperform. Is that how you? Yeah, you're actively moving the target. I suppose you're changing around your your target asset allocation depending on your views in the market, which can work in your favour. If you 
if the share market goes up and you've increased your allocation to equities, well, yeah, it's going to do great. But the risk always is that if you get that wrong, and let's just say you've got 100% equities um, and the market falls, well, you can't do anything. Mm. Whereas, and what I mean by you can't do anything, you can't actively then reinvest into the market at a lower point unless you're actively contributing cash. Mm. Whereas under that strategic asset allocation, if the equity market falls, but as a long-term investor, we'd be saying that's potentially a great opportunity to look for value in the market. And if you've got your fixed interest and your cash, well, you can draw on those asset classes to take advantage of those opportunities. Where if you, is if you're tactical and you get that tactic wrong, um, there's perhaps not as much um, that you can do about a falling market. I say this to, to anyone that, that's, that's starting out in investing 100% in shares or property, for example, if the market moves against you, which it can easily do, just have a think about how you're going to react. So if, if you have a sum of money and you're like, I'm just going to put it all in equity, I've got the time, I understand the risks, and, and the market does go against you in an extreme situation, it can be a big fall, what's the next move? And if, you, it's all, if all your money's on the table and you've got no access to cash, well, then you are at the mercy of the market where a smart investor or maybe an astute investor that has either a portion of their portfolio they can call on if equities in that situation fall or the ability to get cash, whether it's from a loan or something like that, can can basically have a strategic or a – what's the word I'm trying to look for here, Glenn? Like a um, – Well, you can op- react to what's opportunistic. happening. Opportunistic. Yeah, an opportunistic. Yeah. Um, how, how many uh, – in, in terms of rebalancing a portfolio, there's there's different views on, on how often you should do it. But I mean, I think generally we would say two, three, four times a year, depending on the size of the portfolio, what's happening. I mean, one comment I wanted to make is over rebalancing the portfolio can be detrimental because it does, yeah. it, it builds in the, adds up, all the transaction costs can really add up. Yeah, you don't want to be doing yeah. it too frequently. I think the comment you made is, is right. It depends on the volatility. Like if the market's moving around in, in, in substantial swings like of 10 15 percent you're probably going to be rebalancing more compared to a fairly flat market mm. but i mean all the theory says a couple of times a year is prudent but any more than that really depends on as you were saying the size of the portfolio and probably more more so what the market's doing and how it's moving around and if you've got a portfolio that has good cash flow which you know ho- hopefully it would uh, that cash flow is going to be adding to the portfolio the cash balance is going to be growing and yeah. then that's also an opportunity throughout the year to, to redeploy that cash according to your asset allocation. Yeah. That's another point I wanted to mention. And um, I mean, I think, sorry, just something that was on my mind. I'm not sure we covered it. We might, we may have, but with diversification, um, I, I think even within, within particular sectors, it's good to have different types of investments, if that makes sense. Within so an asset class. Within, within an asset class, sorry. So yeah. the obvious one is if, if you've got a, a share portfolio, and sorry, if you've got an allocation to Australian equities and you've loaded up all of that allocation to banks, that's you don't really have diversification within the Australian equity part of your portfolio, do you? So you yeah. might want to spread it around a bit. Yeah, there's there's diversifying sectors. between asset classes, but they're also within each asset class. And it's the same with property because property in itself is a, is a big asset class, but there's multiple types of property, you know, residential, office, industrial, retail. Mm. So the more you can spread that risk the smoother your returns are going to be over time and the less reliant you're going to be on the performance of any one particular asset or one particular subclass. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even fixed income. I mean, there's different ways you can invest in fixed income and a lot of people think bonds is probably the only way you can get access to fixed income. But there, there is a lot of other ways, Yeah, whether it's 
private debt or you know well, there's fixed rate there's floating rate there's there's all, as you said there's all different mm. types you just need to know what's right for you and ultimately have the right sort of portfolio that can achieve your objectives yeah and I, I think a good portfolio that has good diversification according to the right objectives um also non-correlated assets i mean we're pretty big within our business and trying to have uh different assets that complement each other do you just want to explain what non-correlated asset means so yeah so if, if a portfolio is, is perfectly correlated and they'll, they'll move in the same direction at the same time so if you've got a um, yeah, perfect correlation. Everything will kind of it goes up or go up together, or goes down, it goes down together. Yeah. So it's good to build in assets that are not perfectly correlated. So or negatively correlated, where they go in the opposite direction, basically. Well, I, I think it's varying degrees. If I don't know, negatives always would probably be hard to achieve, but different yeah. different varying correlations. So, and and the obvious ones we often speak to about clients are things like infrastructure, which often isn't depends if it's listed or unlisted. But if it's unlisted, it's much less correlated to say the equity market although yeah. it's a, a growth asset class it's um, less perfectly correlated and uh, in terms of your equity allocation if you invest in some private equity it's unlisted so it's um, listed equity can be quite volatile you get the wild swings but yeah. private equity are unlisted businesses so it can be much less volatile so there is ways you can build in non non-correlated assets into your portfolio anything else to add on that no, and I suppose with that correlation, it's been a bit of a weird market because normally if you compare equities and bonds, they are almost negatively correlated in that when the equity markets do well, bond, bonds tend not to. And when the equity markets are doing bad, everyone rushes to bonds and bond prices go up. But mm. in recent times, they've, they've been actually positively correlated. So it's mm. yeah, been a bit of an interesting time. Mm. All right, Glenn, before we kind of close. Well, I, th- I think the key point for people to bear in mind is to always ensure that the strategy that you've got in place from an investment perspective, so the asset allocation is as aligned to your objectives as possible. And if you can do that, you're really going to take a lot of the risk off the table, aren't you? So to try and be as um, clear with your objectives as possible and really ensure that you understand the necessary time frame or, or sort of recommended time frame within any asset class and not expose yourself to unnecessary risk within a portfolio. As always, seek advice. If, if you're not sure, this this can be quite daunting. Seek advice. Um, another, I think, key takeout is if you have an as- you design an asset allocation, whether it's yourself or with a professional, um, you know, stick to it. Um, don't don't. Oh, the market's gone well. I might just let the equities run a little bit. Uh, no, like if you've got an asset allocation that says 50% equities and you get to that 60 level we spoke about, peg it back because that's your long-term strategic allocation and that's you know according to your level of risk. Um, so we'll close there. We hope, hope you found the discussion um, enjoyable today and we look forward to having you along next week um, via um, any good po- podcasting app. Um, once again, please check out our major sponsors' website, Hewison Private Wealth. Um, so just, just search for Hewison Private Wealth online. Also check out Hewison Private Wealth um, social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, Thanks again. We'll see you next week.